You're listening to Deeper Magic. Hey everyone, welcome to the Deeper Magic. I am Peter. I'm here with Anna. Say hi, Anna. Hi, Anna. See, it is fun. Yeah, it is. It is pretty, there's there's it is something really fun. funny about it. I know. Apparently, you know, different shows have their their sort of different shticks, and I guess that's one of our. Technically, our I did steal that from Dimension Twenty. You did. I don't even know what Dimension Twenty is. It's a D and D podcast oh, that right. I listen to. The the guy who DMs it is brilliant, and I adore him. He's hilarious, but that's how they always start. He'll be like, say hi, Intrepid Heroes, and they're like, hi, Intrepid Heroes, and every time he's like, I hate all of you. So it's a nerdy, yeah, it's a nerdy dun- Dungeons oh, & Dragons sure. thing, for, for you sure. Just call me a nerd. Well, no, just the, the so shtick is, <laughs> is nerdy. So, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, so for those of you I mean, listening... I am, but like, you didn't have to say it. I know, for sure. Well, for those of you listening, you know this is a podcast for people that are interested in spiritual things still, but maybe less so in organized versions of religion, mm-hmm. uh, and... And yet uh, the whole deeper magic stuff is real. And we're, I'm pretty excited today in a little yeah. bit. We're going to bring... And also bring... whatever else we decide that we well, want to exactly, talk about. Exactly. We're very bad at staying on track. Well, and the, the fact is, is that I really do think that your spiritual life just integrates and naturally intersects with all the rest of your life, as opposed oh, to yeah, some sort of Sunday thing. morning practice when you were up late at night watching Owl House when you text your friend like you did last night at 11.30 (laughs) at night. Yeah, I texted my friend at 11.30 and I was like, listen, I have to watch Owl House because the the last episode of the whole show came out Saturday of Easter weekend, which was just really poor timing on the creator's parts, but whatever. Um, I was like, I have to watch this episode before Tuesday because I have friends at school who watch the Owl House who all will have seen it by Tuesday, and I don't want to know anything. I've been, like, doing internet backflips to avoid spoilers. And so I texted my friend at, like, 11 o'clock last night, and I was like, hey, what are the odds that you're still up? And also, do you want to FaceTime and watch Owl House together? So that's what you did. And so we did that last night. It was super fun. I think I'd been sleeping for three hours by that time. Yeah, you totally <laughs> yeah, had Last been. night I had cashed out. It was amazing. Yeah. We were both crying by the end of it. Oh, it it's so really great. Good. I'm glad. Well, we are recording this on the 10th of April. We might as well just be transparent. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll release it until the 19th or 20th of April. And I so don't this know is what days are anymore. Yeah, so this is the day after Easter Sunday, and I thought we would... Have a little time to reflect on the sunrise service that we both managed to get to, along mm-hmm. with two of your brothers and your mom, yeah. uh, yesterday. And it was uh, it was an interesting, sweet, mixed experience in, in a lot of beautiful ways. And then we'll have Dr. Sue Stratton from Johnson University in Tennessee yeah. join us a little bit later. She's going to talk about original blessing. She's a lecturer in Old Testament and in spiritual formation. I've known Sue for, I don't know, 25 years or so. She's one of the coolest people I've ever met, and so I'm really she, excited to meet yeah, her. Yeah, so she'll help us out in some of our Garden of the yeah, Garden of Eden series. But uh, yesterday, you got I got up at five forty three, I think, to get in the mm-hmm. car at six o'clock, and I was extolling my virtues. Yeah, that as a boy who's bald, there's very <laughs> little I have to do. <laughs> so I felt really good about getting ready for the sunrise service, where we had to drive around twenty minutes for the six thirty mm-hmm. start time. And so, yeah, 543 is when I rolled out of bed. But you revealed to me, I, I have to admit, my prejudice stereotype generalization mm-hmm. mind as a female is that you had to get up sometime around 2.12 in the morning Oof. to get ready for a <laughs> 6 o'clock. I just, it just seems like you have so much more to do than I do. So I assumed you needed a what? minimum of three hours and 48 minutes to get ready. But I, you told I mean, me yesterday that wasn't true. No, I mean, I'm I'm hoping that you're like brushing your teeth and like showering I, and I, stuff. Oh, I like, didn't I didn't shower, but well, I did brush I didn't my teeth yesterday morning either. But yeah. I did like after the service and everything. Right. But like, 
I can have more to do if I choose to have more to do to get ready in the morning, but also like opening at work at 6.30 in the morning, right? No, I've got my morning routine down to like 12 minutes. That's amazing to me. You are female. I am. This is amazing to me. There's this wonderful thing called a hat. (laughs) That's true. That saves me at least 25 minutes. Okay. And and is this a hidden thing that I didn't know about women? Is that they are actually capable of all kinds of gymnastics to get out the door in 12 minutes if needed. I just feel bad. I yeah. feel Listen, most guys I know take that no you're time like at all. Kind of being sarcastic about this. Not is, really. Really? No, I'm really oh, kind of curious. I really I just yeah. I just assumed that and I was sad for you as the female race. I, I don't even know if that's, that's a race. Not female. A thing. It's not a race. <laughs> Whatever it is. Oh no. The the the, the female hu- humanhood that you are. I just I assumed like right here that my dad is a feminist. We just have <laughs> talked about this yet. So I just assume that it. it, I just felt bad for you. I assume Uh you have to go out in the world with a certain set of expectations laid on you that requires you three hours and 48 minutes. And so it was it was news to me that you could do it in 12. Yeah. No, here's the thing. Uh, There is a set of expectations. I am going to be treated differently out there in the cruel wide world, depending on how (laughs) I present myself and how long I take in the morning to get ready for the day. Right. But I can, in certain circumstances where the choice is, am I going to fit a certain beauty standard Mm. or am I going to get an additional two hours of sleep? Right. My brain is like, nah, I I just simply don't care. And then that's when the 12-minute morning routine comes in. Mm. But if I have time, if I'm like going somewhere where I care about the people that I'm seeing or what they're going to think about me or whatever, and I have like infinite respect for all of the women who do not think about this sort of thing, I have terrible social anxiety. So sure. I care very much about this. But it, like, if I'm going to school, if I'm going to work or like whatever, I'll throw a little makeup on. I usually will like pull my outfit out the night before, so I'm not trying to plan that in the morning. Like right. the whole thing. But I, yeah, no, almost every woman that I know has the capacity to be like ready to go in the sense that they're not in their pajamas they have brushed their teeth they have whatever in in 15 minutes and with varying varying levels of what they would consider presentable and so i consider myself presentable after my 12 minute morning routine it's just sometimes i like to take the time and slow down and like actually do my hair instead of just throwing it up in a bun or like whatever so but 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 yeah i have the capacity i just don't do that very often. Is it more satisfying to get a compliment after you've had the 12 minute version of the morning or to do it, get a compliment when you've had the three hour and 48 minute version of the morning? It has to be somewhat mm-hmm. secretly satisfying to have one saying to have a friend of yours, usually another mm-hmm. female, um, tend to like they compliment each other more often than guys do. I hardly, oh, for sure. I, I can't remember complimenting the, other women. Yeah. I can't remember the last time that I was like, dude, you're crushing that flannel. Mm-hmm. Like I just it doesn't it doesn't come up. But well, it has to like if you have a friend of yours who's female that says yeah. you look great and you're like, this took me 12 minutes. Uh-huh. There has to be something secretly satisfying about that. Okay, I have two very weird things about that that I have not thought about until you were just saying that right now. One of them I have thought about. The other I have not. Um, First of all, I love complimenting other women because inevitably when a girl compliments another girl, the response that they get is not going to just be thanks. They are going to get 
some kind of information that is related in some way, but it's not always clear how Right. in response to that compliment. So, for example, if you compliment a girl on a dress, if it has pockets, she will immediately tell you that information. It's like a, it's so funny so to me. Funny. I'll be like, oh, I love your outfit. And she's like, thanks, it has pockets. See, like, I, it happens. I've never said that phrase it. once. She'll be like, oh, I got it from such and such store. I got it from American Eagle. I got it from Target. I got it from whatever. Like, you should check it out. They have these great blah, 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 blah. Like, somebody complimented me on my docks the other day. And I was like, thanks, I broke them in climbing a mountain. Like, <laughs> I don't know what it is in the girl brain, but when you get a compliment from another woman, it's like, what is the first piece of information relevant to the thing that they complimented you on? Yeah. And then that information immediately comes out of your mouth. Hmm. And it's so funny to me. But the other thing that I've weirdly noticed is that the only thing that I get compliments on when I have my 12-minute morning routine is my skin. Really? Which I feel like is a really, like bizarre thing to compliment but i've had it like three or four times now and it's always at work it's always when i've opened and so i've had my 12 minute routine and i get in and inevitably somebody will be like you have gorgeous skin like whatever you're doing you look amazing like keep keep doing whatever you're doing my skincare routine is wash my face yeah so that's my it's gotta be puzzling. Routine. I don't you. know what's going on, and I don't know why that's the only thing that I ever get complimented hmm. on when I do my twelve-minute morning routine. But like, that's it. That's the only compliment I will get. Man, I just I can't imagine. I have two things. I have, and then we should talk about our Easter Sunday yes. reflections. <laughs> but I have never uh, either complimented another guy on his skin, nor have I ever been complimented for my complexion. <laughs> So that has never happened in my life. And I can't remember the last time other than maybe a pair of gym shorts that I didn't properly vet before I put them on. But even then, I can't remember an article of clothing that I've ever put on from my belly button on down that didn't have pockets. I I have never like I literally have. I I can't even my swimsuits have pockets. And do you know that's. I I am su- I'm filled with such rage right now you that I can't are, even I can talk. And I'm I just so I've just that. never been like, man, you're crushing the pockets, so buddy. So much more stuff that we have to carry around with us on a daily basis, yeah. and somehow you guys have the pockets. What are you carrying around? Yeah. Your phone and your like quarter sized wallet. Yeah, and key fob maybe, but maybe. I, but don't tell anybody. I usually just leave the key fob and you're in the sitting car. There with like a bag of holding or whatever. Yeah. And like no. It's no. so upsetting. And you have I, 18 pockets in one pair of shorts, and you totally have like do. three things that you're bringing with you on a daily basis. <laughs> we have enough to fill a backpack's worth, yeah. and our pockets are stitched shut. <laughs> what is that about? I have no idea. All right. So I just saw that Sue Stratton's Zoom link has come through oh, to us. Okay, so, yeah. so we have limited time to finish on the our Sunrise Easter service. and the Sunrise Service. So the Christian th- part of this Christian podcast. Yeah. I think just for me briefly, it, there is a sweetness of people gathering uh, and knowing that they're gathering all over the world to celebrate the the one event that actually has a durable mm-hmm. hope to it. I mean, and, and I was talking a little bit yeah. last night as we were meeting as a family and closing up Sabbath together and just saying that it's not bad to have hope for things in this world, hope for a job, hope for a relationship, hope for whatever. I think those things are great. And then to celebrate if those things happen is also great. But but they all fade after a, a certain period of time mm-hmm. on some level. And so I, I think I was just really struck yesterday 
in the midst of a typical worship service, that parts of it just drove me nuts. You know, hey, everybody. You right. know, you just, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. been behind enough of those worship uh, planning services that you want to be bright and chipper and, and pick the songs that wake people up and welcome to all the dogs yeah. walking around on the beach. And isn't the coffee funny? It's a little windier than we think. I'm like, all of that. I'm just like, oh. I'm like, I, I don't care. Yeah. And, and, and yet, <laughs> knowing how much the people that plan services tend to care exactly about what is said there and just how Which much so energy and time me. is put into. Mm-hmm. the greeting yeah. uh, it just is enough so some of those things fine I'm not here to throw anybody under the bus it is what it is but it's still it's part of why I just really struggle being a part of many institutional mm-hmm. environments like that but the gathering of people nonetheless over 2,000-ish years and and I don't know when we can stop saying 2,000 as sort of the the descriptor because it's 2,023 years now when we get to like 2,100 you can't say 2,000 years ago well, yeah, you still can because it's not 3,000 years Okay, yet. so... Or you could say, so, like, 2,100 years, but that's still weird and gross, and yeah. I kind of hated that. So, like, I would still stick with the 2,000 years until you're, like, at 2,400. Yeah, maybe. And okay. then you would say 2,500 years. Yeah, so you could probably say over... 3, okay, so over 2,000 years ago, we could maybe yeah. say right now. And to just see people gathering... And that that sense of a durable hope uh, among the many things that the resurrection is, is it is a place of hope. It just means mm-hmm. that sin and death has been defeated entirely and permanently and forever. And so e- that's why the language in the New Testament includes things like, even if we die, yet we live. Um, and to have the sun rise in the midst of all of that and to, yeah. and to come up over the clouds on that new dawn. We, I, I know that was the other thing that really struck me is that as a family, we chose to turn are back to the worship service, at least to the side of the service, not because we were being oh, belligerent yeah. or anything, no, not but like we got a protest. Or yeah, anything. <laughs> but but to be facing the stage and where the people were meant that we were facing the west, and we wanted to face the east and greet mm-hmm. the rising of the sun as they did in the early church. And so, to stand on the beach, and then there were some really sweet worship songs that that were sort of sung on and behind us as mm-hmm. we watched the sun come up, and I just was reminded of a life of hope that I'm so grateful for that because hopelessness yeah. is it's you just can't live within it. So those are some of my reflections from yesterday. It was a really sweet time. We have so many more topics to talk about related to Easter down the road, but just mm-hmm. yesterday's service was sweet. Yeah, no. And I think you had said something really important last night about how it doesn't with the whole idea of like penal substitution theory that tends to come up on Good Friday and then the idea of like Jesus's death and resurrection being the thing that or okay or Jesus's death being the thing that broke sin is mm-hmm. often the way that it is thought about um and that it was kind of this like judgmental strike from God kind of thing right the way that we had been talking about it last night that I thought was really important um to say again here was more the idea of like this blow was coming and it wasn't coming from God. It was coming from the forces of evil and sin and death and all of that. Right. Right. That that kind of wave of energy and force and power was coming for humanity. Right. And that Jesus put himself between us and them. Mm. It wasn't like God enacting some kind of heavenly justice system. It, It was that this army was coming and Jesus put himself in between us and them. But then the fact that, it it wasn't the death that was the important part of the story. And we talked about this a little bit in our Good Friday episode, that the the death isn't the important part of the story. It's the resurrection. Right. That is that because it means that that army technically, like, if it was just his death, then that army succeeded and nothing else important happened. But then the fact that Jesus rose from the dead meant that they didn't win. It was 
like you said, it was the ultimate bait and switch. It was. Um, so I just think it's so I, – I love Easter so deeply for that reason, and I don't often love, like, religious holidays, but I really, really love Easter. Yeah. Um, and I just remember doing a sunrise service last year while I was living in Scotland, and it there are seven hills in Edinburgh that the city is kind of built around. Mm-hmm. And, and I was made aware of the fact during the sunrise service that there were – churches assembling on each of the seven hills in the city and praying over the city. And I just had this really intense moment of being like, this has been celebrated like back and back and back all over the world all day long. And then forward and forward and forward all over the world all day long. And just the magnitude of that was so powerful to me in Hmm. a lot of ways. And so even though I still struggle so much with institutional church and there was things that was happening in the service that we attended that I was like, "Mm, I don't love what's going on right now. It just felt so important to do that in a wider community of other believers, especially on that day. Yeah. Um, Rather than just kind of in the quiet of my own day or in the quiet of our own home. Yeah. No, agreed. I think that just doing that with other people, as you said, and when you talked about the fact that it was happening in the Seven Hills in Edinburgh Mm -hmm. too, it just made, made me want to be back there for that. Yeah. Version of the service as well. We also got a fairly lengthy email. We do get um, people that write in and, and talk. This is the first time we're actually going to reference somebody that wrote we get into. people who write in. You don't tell me about oh, it. They, they do. <laughs> and uh, and I heard something uh, sweet the other day, too, from a friend of ours that said that they know a friend who's listening and, and it's the only thing that's keeping her mm-hmm. um, interested in things of Christianity. She's been fully deconstructed, mm-hmm. as so many wow. young people have been. And so she's been looking to the deeper magic to, to sort of help reconstruct, which is a fairly sobering thing. And it's fun oh, to be on totally the journey. Is. Yeah, it's been so fun to be on the journey with people. So I think why don't we do this? We'll start. We'll uh, we'll pause at this point here. We'll invite Sue into this uh, into the show, mm-hmm. and then I'll at least start by inviting some of her reflections on Easter, and we'll read a little bit of this email together, and then we'll get into her topic on original blessing. Yeah, I love it. Sounds great. Well, thanks for joining us here, Sue, on this episode of Deeper Magic. Did I have it right that you teach? You have taught Old Testament topics. You currently mostly teach spiritual formation at Johnson University and, and in other locations too, right? Right. I teach um, in our master's classes. Right. Yeah. Oh, cool. Right. Yeah. And we were just talking a little bit about Easter. Did you, it sounds like you had kind of a chill Easter yesterday. Any reflections from the day yesterday? We did have a very chill Easter. It was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I think we we spent some time in prayer together and we took the dogs for a romp and we um watched some crazy tv like we found outer banks we've never seen <gasps> no so we've been talking no about way. outer banks on the podcast you found it oh my god you found it and so we've kind of been binging it actually mm-hmm. so. how far have you gotten so far so last night and like i'm like on pins and needles to find out what happens mm-hmm. <laughs> The sun shot the sheriff. Oh, you're oh, that you're far already. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. And I don't know what's going to happen. We were brainstorming what we thought might happen. But- <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is so good. So for some context for you, I refuse to watch this show for like two months straight, even though it's my best friend's favorite show because she was like, it's so good. You're going to love it. And I was like, it looks so bad sitting which oh, was my. crazy yeah um and so we binged all the way through season one and season two and then season three just came out 
And she and I watched the whole thing together in a weekend over Zoom because she lives in Scotland. And then I have subjected my poor father to this show. Oh, I'm all in. And made him watch all of it. I'm all in. We're almost done with as many of the seasons that have come out. We're almost done, right? Maybe four or five episodes left. Through season three. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we've got a couple episodes left, but it's so good. Oh, that's so. So that was a big part of your Easter was Outer Banks. (laughs) That's amazing. Evening, yes. That's so great. (laughs) So I have to ask real quick. Does the show get better as it goes, or does it kind of tell mm. off the seasons go? I, well, I have the unique advantage of having seen the whole show in this conversation. Um, but I would say, gosh, I don't know. Season one is really good in its own right, in its own like plot line that it has going on. Um, I, I feel like the feel of season one and season two are very different from each other in a lot of ways. And you'll start to understand some of why that might be the case as you finish season one. So like season one is more nostalgic because they feel more like kids in season one, but the plot and like execution and drama of season two is so much better. Wow. Yeah, no, it's fun. Yeah, it's been it's been solid. I feel like it's sort of Goonies on steroids in it my totally mind. It is. really it's it's been it's been that for me. Yeah, and then uh, season for three sure. is just insane. Like from start to finish, I still haven't decided how I feel about season three. Yeah. Okay. Well, so much to look forward to. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Well, we wanted to. Uh, you used a phrase. I actually don't even know for sure what the phrase "original blessing" means, mm-hmm. and we want to get to that because we've been talking a lot about sort of reframing our understanding of many basic foundations of faith and especially how Genesis uh, maybe is different than some book that teaches us about science. And then especially like all the stuff that happens after Genesis three mm-hmm. is basically human beings become a total disaster. God can't stand any of them. He's trying to figure out how to levy some justice. He finally decides the right way to do it is to to crush his own son with it all. And then somehow we don't really know what happens after that entirely. But uh, but in all of that, whatever God was up to in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2 mm-hmm. has has long gone by the wayside. It's not even relevant anymore. So, I'm so we're so curious what you have to say about original blessing and even what, what you mean by that mm-hmm. and any implications for that uh, today. But before we do, can I read this email from one of our listeners that talked a little bit yeah. about this? And really quick, and I have a quick thing about original blessing as well. I'm doing an exegesis paper for one of my Bible classes right now. Yeah. And the section that I'm focusing on is the creation of man. And so if what you're talking about is what I think you're talking about, this might be really helpful for me with my essay. (laughs) This is exciting. I hope it is. (laughs) That would be great. I would love that. All right. So I'll share this with full permission. We can chat about that for a second and then get into it. Uh, He wrote, I listened to your podcast today on Good Friday. So to start with, I had never heard the term penal substitutionary theory. I'm extremely introspective and think about theological questions quite a lot, but I haven't read a lot of books or taken any theology classes since his college, it was a Christian university. So coming at it from quite a different perspective than you and Anna. So when you first said yesterday you were rejecting penal substitutionary theory, I thought maybe you were rejecting the idea that part of the reason Jesus died was to deal with sin. But it sounds like the point was mainly that while Jesus did die for our sin, it wasn't because God demanded some sort of punishment, but that God was looking for a way to defeat sin and death, and that way was Jesus dying and rising from the dead. I think I very much agree with that take. I don't have the ability to put it nearly as eloquently as you and Anna did, which is questionable uh, on every level. (laughs) 
But what really hit me was right around the 11 minute mark, you said something about how penal substitutionary theory might imply that God is subject to some value or moral or judgment that is outside of himself, as if the universe demanded that someone die for sin in this world. So God said, okay, if someone must be forced to pay, let it be my son. That has something that that is something that has bothered me forever, and I could never articulate why it bothered me, even in my own mind. But what you said really clarified my thoughts on that. I've always questioned the teaching that somehow Jesus' dying was the only way that our sin could be wiped away, as if it was outside of God's power to forgive it any other way. And then the theological gymnastics that need to be created to defend that view just make it way more complicated than it needs to be. Is it any wonder that highly educated people reject Christianity when we make it so weird? And then his last part. Which is one of my favorite phrases in yeah, it that is. whole I love email, when we when make, we it, make so weird. it so weird. I was like, that's so true. It is. Jesus' death and resurrection makes so much more sense to me when I think about it primarily as the means of defeating sin and death and decay. Jesus proved that death can be defeated, and that gives me hope that the whole universe can someday be restored. It never made sense to me as the means by which sin is forgiven. If God wants to forgive our sin, why can't he just forgive it? Why did his son have to die? I know that's probably taking it way too far, but it helps my faith to think of the death and resurrection in that way. I'm not saying I don't think Jesus's death didn't pay for our sin. It's just not the primary focus of Easter for me anymore. When I think of Easter now, I think of how great the world is going to be someday. So 2,000 years later, and there's still a ton of crap in the world, but I have reason to hope. And I just, I don't know, I just love that email of laying it out. I think, Sue, so many people, it became such a common understanding when a few theologians, maybe even during the time of the Reformation, became so influential in Western culture, and then a few more theologians picked up all their theology and drove it through all the universities and seminaries that were Christian universities and seminaries, therefore driving it into all of the pastors, therefore driving it into everybody in the pew. And we've sort of thought forever and ever and ever now that really, again, what happened is that the world was good for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Humankind screwed it all up and total depravity has needed to be dealt with by Jesus taking the blow. I don't know what you think about all of that, but it's just interesting to see some different ways of, of understanding the biblical text coming into being these days. I have a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah, (laughs) I bet you do. You know, that whole scenario that God the Father um, required payment for what was so angry with humankind that he wanted to kill us all. And then the son jumps in the way and says, no, I will kill me instead. Mm -hmm. I will take the punishment um, is really, I don't think... um, First of all, it's a it's a dysfunctional family system right there, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's very dysfunctional. Um, but it's also not really representative of a Christian worldview. Hmm. Because what you have there is God the Father as a, you know, large, powerful with the, you know, the lightning bolt. And then you have the son who is a little less powerful. And then you have the Holy Spirit that hardly gets a billing. (laughs) (laughs) And it's more a, um, a Greek pantheon system. It's a, it's a Greek religious system. Hmm. Are you following? We are totally. No, I've never thought about that before, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it really does. So, in, because, oh, go ahead. What's our alternative? 
Mm-hmm. It's the truth of the Trinity, right? That that all three are equal and all three are in this beautiful unity and union together in this amazing love relationship. Hmm. And I think so often we get caught up with this angry father, the son who steps in, and well, sometimes it's more like the father, son, and the Holy Bible than the father, son. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I I I think it's so important that we go back to the, you know, the foundations of the Godhead mm-hmm. um, in in everything. Like um, like when we think about the whole idea of why Jesus died. You know, I don't really think we're gonna know until we're on the other side. Mm-hmm. Exactly why. It's it's mystery, right? In so many ways. And Paul does, you know, he explains it in different ways and forms, and but, but it seems to me that there's still questions there. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, N.T. Wright, I, I really appreciate it. At one point, he said, if you try to reduce the atonement down to any one thing, you're probably missing a whole, a whole host of other things. And so, mm-hmm. so many different dimensions. But I mean, Anna's got this paper to write, so we, we need some help in Genesis 1 and, and 2 about, because I, I really do think if we understand a little bit more what, what was happening in the beginning and the idea of the blessing that was offered, it helps us understand a little more clearly, at least on this side, what was going on on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Mm-hmm. Well, I I love Genesis 1. I mean, I love teaching Pentateuch. It was one of my favorite classes, so um if we start in, why don't I just read it real quick and then we can go from there. Sure. Yeah. That'd be great. So Genesis one twenty six, Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them roll over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man or humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Mm -hmm. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 31, and God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Hmm. Yeah, so that's the that's the section that I'm writing my paper. That's on. amazing. We really didn't know that. <laughs> nice, good job, team. Okay. Um, so, do you have a thesis for your paper yet? Um, nothing super specific. I'm still kind of in the research page uh, or the research stage of that right now. Um, one thing that I was curious about, though, does yours say, uh, "So God created mankind in His image." Male and female, he created them. There's there's something else in there. There's another them that is sometimes translated as him. Um, and that is something that I'm talking about in my exegesis paper. Yeah, I don't have the original in front of me. I'm using okay. a NASB. Um, here, I'm going to see if I can pull it up real quick. But I just remember there was something that I was reading the other day. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Um, And it's interesting because some translate that middle bit as 
him and some translate the middle bit as them. And there's just some interesting research that I was doing into that portion of it um, where dad, as we've talked a little bit about egalitarianism or complementarianism, um, just in bits and pieces that one thing that I'm finding is pretty consistently the people who are translating it as him are leaning towards a more complementarian worldview and they're using it as support that man was made first yeah, and then woman was drawn out of man and then the ones who are more egalitarian are the ones who are saying in the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. And so there's just some interesting research into all of that, that I would love to get into at some point. Yeah. Well, and for sure the how the, the decisions that translators make to take it from the original language into our English. Yeah. It often is biased by their own theological ideas. And it's part yeah. of why we don't even really understand what's going, uh, going on here. So Sue, when you see, these three verses, and you've called them out. How do how do they relate to a blessing or to a vocation, or how how do you see what's going on here? Well, first, this is like origin stuff, mm-hmm. right? This, this first chapter is origin, and it's so important. I feel like what we've done is we've in the twenty first century and all the centuries moving um, in the last probably thousand years we've jumped to Genesis three. We don't Mm -hmm. really pay any attention to Genesis one and two, which is very, it's sad because we, we lose so much, but um, the real fun thing about this is verse 28 Mm -hmm. and God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful. But this whole idea, this is the very first blessing in the Bible. Mm. And yeah, this is a blessing that has never been rescinded. So even with the fall, this blessing stands mm-hmm. on mankind. And I I think it's so important because this blessing shows the heart of God. Like yeah. from the beginning, right? Um and 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 I so we've got six goods, like in all of creation, um, every, every day was good. Every single day was good, good, good. You get to day seven after he's created man and it's a very good. Mm-hmm. And so this is the place where we start. We've started very good. We started as the father's delight. He was so excited about our creation but I, I, I think what this original blessing does is it tells us our origin. It also tells us that we're loved, mm. that yeah. we are blessed by God. And that word Barak, it, um, so many great blessings in the Old Testament, but um, blessing normally goes from God to man, and then man blesses, man blesses man, or man blesses creation, and then um We've got God blessing a man blessing God. And it's this full circle thing of blessing. Mm -hmm. And that's the way blessing's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this full circle, blessing one another continually. Uh, And and we miss it. This is also an identity for me. I I see identity here that we are um, nestled in this um, beautiful. Um, origin story of goodness and we can either take our identity from our from original blessing or we can take our identity from original shame 
Hmm. Or hmm. Genesis 3. Yeah, that's a really good way wow. to, to put that. I really love that idea. How did, yeah, how about, did you say that we can take our identity from? Original blessing or from original shame. Oh, man. Um, I had a question really quickly for you about the world, about the word blessing, because you're saying it a lot, and it like it's in, obviously it's in the verse where it says, and God blessed them. But I think as is often the case between Old Testament and even New Testament scripture and our like modern Western understanding of it. Um, like I, I am curious about what, what is the actual implication of the word blessing? Where does that come from? What, what does that mean mm-hmm. for somebody to be blessed? Because I think often the way we think of it in our like modern Western culture is like, oh, hashtag blessed. Like things are going well for me in my life. Like I'm really happy or like, I don't know, at the most like deep thinking level over here, we've got like, bless you when you sneeze. Like (laughs) what is the like wishing? It's like the, the Christian equivalent of like good luck. So like, what is the, what is the actual old Testament scriptural implication of the word blessing? Like what, what would that mean for God to bless his creation? It's a great question. It is a great question. Um, and I will add that in the South, if someone says, bless your heart. <laughs> right. You don't actually that. want that, right? Like, isn't it doesn't, isn't oh, that no, normally sure a little not. bit more passive aggressive if somebody it's says, bless your heart? Yeah, it's it's yeah. not a good thing, right? Right. Yeah. Where to begin? <laughs> um, I, 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 when I think about blessing in the, in the word Barak, I think, of God extending all good things our way, right? Mm -hmm. That it's this invitation, particularly now, um, into this relationship with God to abide in God's goodness, right? Mm. Like, blessing is a, it's an art that we've lost, I feel like. Uh, And it's, um, you know, you use blessing to extend this this beautiful relationship, this um ah, I almost see it as God's arms open wide, right? Mm. In this amazing um extension of his love and generosity and goodness to his people. Mm. Um the picture that comes to my mind is the Prince of Egypt. Have y'all seen the Prince of Egypt? I love, love that. that yeah, love that movie. Oh my gosh. And every once in a while, whatever the song is that the mom sings yeah. in that movie. Yes. I don't know any of the words. If you ask me the tune right now, I would not be able to tell you. But every couple of years, all of a sudden, I will just have that song stuck in my head. And I'm like, I don't know where it came from. I don't know how I know it like yeah. this but it'll just like manifest in my brain and refuse to leave me alone for like two or three days. It's just, it's such a beautiful movie. I, I, I really feel like it's like anointed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Agreed. Totally is. Yes. But um, when the priest is singing and he's um, praying this amazing blessing and they're all, they're, they're, they're all doing this circle dance. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what comes to mind when I think of blessing. It's hmm. just this 
invitation for all to join in this amazing circle dance that the Trinity is already engaged in. The perichoresis, right? Mm-hmm. That that circle dance that the Trinity is doing. And I feel like this blessing is their invitation for us to join that dance. Hmm. Yeah. No, well, I love yeah. That. Yeah. I was just going to say, I we're going to Iceland next month or no, in early June. And the reason why I bring it up is that Hallie and I have had a chance to be on an island. And Sue, when we go to that island, it feels like we are <clears throat> sort of sitting in Genesis 1 territory. The, the the colors of the waters are different than any color I've ever seen. There doesn't seem to be... A, literally, there's some parts of Iceland where you can go up to the wild animals and they are not afraid of you because they just have never experienced the the fear in this world. And so when I think about Genesis 1 and how you just described getting swept up in, in who God is, I it, it just seems like every day would be better than the last, that God is so beautiful and infinite. And so blessing is less about the idea that I have a ton of money and a car and and three dogs or something like that, but just that we are completely cared for within the love of who God is. Yes, and I, I feel like we need to understand blessing in terms of, it's a, it's what God is about. Like it's it's not about us. It's about the generosity and the the magnitude of God's heart for His people. Yeah. Um, hmm. There is another really beautiful blessing. I think in number seven. I don't know if y'all are familiar with that one at all, but probably not. <laughs> I I love this blessing because we are considered priests of the most high God now, right? Mm-hmm. All of us, everyone who names the name of Jesus, we are we are priests. We are part of that priesthood. And this, I love this benediction because it's one that we can give others. And this is what it is. Now, this was the Lord spoke to Moses and Moses was to tell Aaron, who was the high priest and his sons to bless Israel in this way. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. Okay, so that one I do actually know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sue, I don't know if you're aware of this. We have a we have a running joke over here that I know scripture, but I don't know where in the Bible certain things come from. And then my dad will keep making references to things, and he's like, "So where in the Bible did that come from?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I haven't spent 50 years studying this. This is not my fault." But in fairness to me, I was out with a friend for a cup of coffee the other morning, and we were laughing because we started. We just did a little random quiz for each other, Sue. And and we named books of the Bible, and we then we we tried to decide if we could even name a single verse from that book. So we went. Uh, Ze- we couldn't decide if Zechariah was actually a book in the Bible, and it turns out it was. We did Zephaniah, H- uh, Habakkuk, and Haggai. We didn't, we knew nothing, but we have heard. We Habakkuk have- is a book of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> but I have heard of number seven before. Now that you read it, Sue, and what, I think what's interesting about it, in light of the original blessing that you were talking about too is there was that song that came out during COVID that was the song with that blessing on it. And then it you know, just talks about um, for a thousand generations that this, you know, your families and your, and your children and their children, this would continue. 
And I found myself driving into downtown Minneapolis two mornings ago, I want to say, and that song was playing on the radio. And I found myself just, this sounds so silly and sanctimonious maybe, but I just, I felt really pressed by God to just pray it over the city of the people that were in Minneapolis, that they that they would know, as you've said, that the blessing hasn't been revoked from anybody in this world, that, yeah. that they're, the, we're people of original goodness and God is coming for us always to restore that reality as priests and priestesses. I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right, but I felt really heavy inside to be praying it over all kinds of people that I didn't even know that they would that they would somehow know this about who God is. That God is just not some big angry God in the sky, mm-hmm. but is really uh, chasing after His beloved. Yeah. No. And and then there was a part in the research that I was doing for my paper the other day. There was two different things. Um, that really stuck with me about all of that. And one of them was that um, a blessing is both a gift and a function Mm. and that at its fullest height, it is God turning face to face with the recipient of that blessing, Wow! which we've talked a little bit about the implications of coming face to face with something. And we can talk about that more in another episode, but that, that felt like a heavy thing to say in a, in a really beautiful way. Um, And then the other thing that he was talking about was how, man's dominion over creation is i think they said that it was not the content of the image and likeness of god but the consequence of it Hmm. which i thought was a really important distinction but yeah i don't know i'm just i'm just curious to hear what you have to say about the about the blessing and then man's commission and and how does that all work together with the image of god well i love what you just said in terms of face to face Mm -hmm. i feel like that has been so lost as well, that we often perceive God as far off, way up there, right? Yeah. And even even if we grasp his omnipresence, he's still not present face-to-face. And so one of the things that I learned when I was doing my um, my master's thesis um, was that, and I, and I know you kind of talked about the the word Yahweh, Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what I learned was that, that, that phrase is God's personal name, as opposed to a title like El Shalom, El Alam. Those are all titles that have been given mm-hmm. to God. But when he gave his personal name to Moses, that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, right. But Yahweh was a big deal. And that, that word comes from the Hebrew word to be that y'all y'all talked about i think in previous previous Mm -hmm. episodes but it's it's more than that it's more than just it's it's this dynamic presence it's this personal intimate dynamic presence so it's almost like this face-to-face thing that you're talking about that god in, in he's not far off he is closer than our next breath right and that that all we need to do is come present to God, who is already present to us. Hmm. And he's there to bless us. Yeah. As you teach these kinds of things, Sue, just even these ideas from Genesis 1, do you find, and Anna, I'm guessing you probably find it in your friends, I certainly find it in my classroom, that most people carry the idea of some sort of original uh, shame with them, that they see themselves as worthwhile, 
And instead of sin being a force that is outside of themselves, but is like active in their life, <clears throat> they see themselves as these sort of these ugly beings that maybe God would not have anything to do with. Uh, this changes the the picture, I would think, on just about every level. Yeah, well, and I would say it's not just within Christian circles. Like, specifically in terms of relationship to God, I see Christian friends of mine struggling with ideas of self-worth and, yeah. and all of that. But um, I I don't think that that's limited to just Christians. Like, Probably not. I see that all, all over the place. Um, so I would be curious if there's... Like, I think it is something that isn't necessarily discouraged in the church and oftentimes is something that's like implicitly taught through sermons or whatever, rather than something explicitly being said, although that does happen as well. Um, but no, I, I think that is something that a lot of my friends struggle with, Christian or not. Hmm. And it's it's just heartbreaking. Like, I find yeah. that heartbreaking because... And again, I think it goes back to that foundational identity of who God is. Is God a God of love? Or is God with open arms wanting to bless his people? Or is he kind of miserly? And he's got this measuring stick that he's got up to all of us, right? Mm -hmm. But I think the New Testament is super clear. And all we need to do, we need to believe it. Yeah. So, I mean, you look at Romans 6, 2 and Galatians 2, 20, that our old self, all that is sinful and contrary to God is crucified. It's dead already, mm. right? That we're completely forgiven, perfected for all time and reconciled to God. Like 1 Corinthians 5, 17, 5, 18, Galatians 2, 16, that we, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, that all things have, have passed away, behold, new things, all, everything is new, mm-hmm. that we're made new and given Christ eternal resurrected life. I could go on and on, but these, these things, um, these truths are just kept as a list, maybe that's one and one, once in a while, a preacher might might preach on one or the other of it. But I really feel that it's important for us to take these truths, meditate on them day and night Hmm. so that the Holy Spirit can use those truths to to help us see the way God sees us. And we need to use our imagination. Yeah. Our Yetzer Hatov, our good imagination Hmm. to to grasp all that God has already said is true of us, right? Yeah. Like, so one thing that I think is so great, when, you know, when when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commitment? Um, He took from Deuteronomy 4, 5, I believe, and Leviticus 19, 18. He put those together. He said, you know, the greatest commitment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your mind and all of your strength now and then to love your neighbor as yourself but that word mind wasn't in deuteronomy he added it Hmm. and that word mind in the greek is dianoia 
as opposed to nous. So there's two words for mind in the Greek. And the one he used is one that includes imagination. Interesting. Includes this deep thought. So right there in the greatest commandment, he's inviting us to use our mind to love God Mm. and love our neighbor as ourself, right? And I think so often in Christian circles, the imagination has been relegated to something evil or something that's not of God, right? Yeah. But but right there, he's invited us to take our place in our imagination as his children, perfected for all time. That's what the word says, not me, as a new creation. Um, to take what God's given us in his word and uh, and live it. Hmm. So. What do you say to somebody who <clears throat> would believe that, but but is still struggling, maybe with some sort of porn addiction, or their marriage is falling apart, or they just they've they've got different things that just keep cropping up? Because even though that's true of us, it seems like there's still things that we do that that are <laughs> let's just say less than optimal mm-hmm. uh, in life. So, what would you say to the person who's struggling with that? Well, first I hug them. Yeah. Yep. Um, Because, you know, we've all got our stuff. We've all got our stuff. And um, I I think it's really important that people who are struggling know that God loves them, (laughs) that he has not abandoned them, that he, that he, he loves them just the way they are. And that, I, you know, I do believe that what ha- what what the word of God does is as we ingest it as we are faithful to t- to believe it meditate on it then the holy spirit cooperate you know cooperates with that word that's in our heart to make it a reality so i i think that someone um someone who's struggling we need each other Mm-hmm. so desperately but so often the church has not been trustworthy but what someone like that needs is a group of people who are willing to be real and listen to their story and 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 tell them that they're beautiful mm-hmm. and, and 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 speak into that wounded place right mm-hmm. that they are beautiful and god loves them and he's for them and 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 we're so missing that in Christ, in christian community today Hmm. Yeah. And I even wonder if you could say that that is part of the original blessing of male and female and and the creation of that companionship is that we're not meant to do this alone. We're meant to do this in community. We're meant to do this with with the love and respect and and mutual. Yeah. Community with other with other people and to hold each other up and remind each other that we are beautiful and that we are the image of God and that we are um, at our at our core good. Yeah, because I I find that easy to forget <clears throat> with, with this, and I think there gets there can be a pattern for some people in light of what you just said, Anna, and especially with the lack of reminders that they did some sort of magic ritual mm-hmm. where, as Sue you said earlier, they managed to invite Jesus to get in the way of God's angry blow, mm-hmm. and that somehow that's what salvation was, and they get to go to heaven now, and blah blah blah, but then they keep sinning. 
and their Jesus shield kind of starts getting chipped away at a little bit. And then they wonder if maybe they're going to hell instead of heaven. And they, and they think this whole thing is about God needing to have his wrath somehow reconciled on some level. And if you keep sinning, maybe he's going to find a, a loophole through Jesus's armpit somehow and get, <laughs> you know, and get, and, and just get another shot at you. Uh, because that's what he's been wanting to do this whole time, as opposed mm-hmm. to when when you start with where you started, and as Anne has been talking about in our paper, that God's desire is for us to live in this face to face, intimate, bless, like blessing sort of life with Him and with one another. Then that's what He's fighting for all along. And in the midst of our sin, God will fight for you in that, mm-hmm. versus you needing to go back and hiding for fear that the bolt's coming again. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah, we need a whole new um, revolution in terms of speaking the truth about who God is and who we are in Him. So, new Reformation. We do, we do. And you, I know that I've I've talked with you and Gary, your husband, uh, off the air with my wife Hallie too at one point. And one thing that you said is that it would be really lovely as part of that reformation if our spiritual leaders, our visible leaders, really did know what it meant to grow in the love of God and the love of other people in these kinds of ways versus being credentialed with all sorts of fancy degrees on history or Bible interpretation as important as they are. I mean, Anna, I would guess if you were to go to some church and you knew that the pastor and the staff was filled with the love of God and love of other people, it might change the equation a little bit in terms of that experience. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I I think I've cared less historically. Okay. If I if I'm actively trying to learn like biblical history or Hebrew text or whatever, if I'm actively trying to learn that from somebody um who is a leader of a community, then yeah, I would care a little more if they are credentialed or not. <laughs> right. Um but I have found that the people who have taught me the most and the people that I would be the most willing to follow, I, I, <laughs> it's not that I don't care whether or not they're credentialed. It's just that I don't even know because I never bothered to ask because they are the people that I see just really be loving other people down to their toes and, and wanting to be in that community and wanting to uplift others and wanting to help other people see that they are beloved, like those are the people that I have found myself like leaning into or, mm. or looking to for advice or or comfort or whatever, fulfilling that kind of role of leadership. It's been it's been those people, and most of them I don't know if they are credentialed or not, and I don't really care <laughs> um, because I find that when I tend to go to the people who are super credentialed, who are the leaders of these institutions, who are whatever they they tend to not actually care about me um, or or they tend to care about me in terms of what I can offer their church or yeah. like what kind of testimony I can provide for their institution of of what a wonderful leader they were yeah. rather than just authentically wanting to love and help me. I think Peter going back to your question what would I what would I tell the person who's struggling with um some kind of addiction some kind of woundedness I I would tell them what Anna just said go find a a 
a wise spiritual director who can help you with spiritual formation. That's not something that's addressed in the church at all. And it has really very little to do with adding a bunch of different spiritual disciplines to your life. Yeah. <laughs> study groups or something. Right. Right. Like I'm all for spiritual disciplines, but spiritual for me is so much more than that. And we really neglect it in the church. Hmm. So in our remaining minutes, um, I think part of what I'm hearing you say again, just to, to recap this, because I think it's maybe more revolutionary than we think that if people stopped living in that sense of original sin, of course we're real with our sin, and of course we're real with this. Isn't to to neglect the pain and sorrow and suffering we bring into the world because of our sin, mm-hmm. but if people learn to live not in a sense of original shame, but in the original goodness of God that they are that God is is trying to rescue them from the disease that isn't actually part of them. It's foreign to them so that he can restore their beauty. I just, I, I always go back to the example of Jesus when he healed the leper. He didn't say, well, done with this leper, bang, get him out of here in time to get a new, like he, he, he pulled the disease from the leper, thus revealing the beauty of that leper that had been there all along. And I, and I think that's part of what you're talking about. But well, and he I, stayed in that place with that person. It yes. wasn't just a, like, and now we move on to the next thing. It was like, a, and now I'm going to sit here and acknowledge the beauty of who you are. Yes. And and out of love, he went towards that leper, leper not to, again, to, to have some protection from the target of God's wrath. It was he just towards love. He saw his beautiful leper <laughs> being disfigured and he came to rescue. I just, I don't know, you guys, I think that's maybe even more re- uh, revolutionary than we might think at first blush if people really lived that way. They, they would see themselves differently, but I think we would see everybody else around us differently too. I think we'd have more patience and forbearance and love and not so much anger and judgment and all the stuff that goes with it. And I, I, I think, you know, I think it's really important to be present not just to the God who's present, but also present to your own thoughts. Hmm. And I, um, I was listening to, oh, I don't remember his first name, Daniel Amon. And he was talking about how negativity disrupts the function of our cerebellum. So when, when we are caught in really negative loops, which people who are often in addiction or some kind of terrible woundedness are, you're caught in this negativity it actually disrupts the function of the brain. Hmm. And so um, we need to break that cycle. And so often you need someone else to do that. You mm-hmm. need others to come along and help you do that, to speak the, your beauty and to speak the truth of who you are in God's sight um, and help you break that cycle of negativity. Hmm. Dang. Yeah. No, I love... First of all, that makes a lot of sense. I've never heard that before, but the idea that negativity disrupts the the function of the cerebellum is, yeah, that that checks out. Um, just from what I've seen in dad, what we've talked about with with mental health in my generation, like, yeah, of course that that makes sense. But I think, dad, when you were saying a minute ago that I think it's more revolutionary than we than we sometimes realize it is. Um, this this is maybe a, a silly example, but as I've been watching The Walking Dead with my older brother, which is a crazy show. I love it. It's so good. Um, but as I've been watching this show with him, there there are truly 
horrible and dark things that happen in that show, there are truly beautiful and lovely and fun and funny things that happen in that show as well. But I think every once in a while something will happen and I'll just kind of move past it. And then Caleb and I will be talking about the episode later and I will like recount to him in our conversation something that happened in the episode and I'll realize as I'm saying it aloud that I'm like, oh my gosh, that was a truly like messed up thing that just happened. No wonder this character is the way that they are and whatever. And when I was just watching it on the screen, I was like, oh, whatever. It's just like, it's not, oh, whatever, but it's like, oh, this thing happened and now we move on. And then I'm like, whoa, if that were to happen in real life, if that were to happen to somebody that I know, like that's a truly traumatic and and horrific thing that just happened to this character. And like, I need to take a minute and and take a lap and like grieve for them almost. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel like, Dad, when you were saying that this is maybe a more revolutionary thing than we think it is, I think so often like these are the words that we say or the phrases that we use that they have kind of lost a lot of meaning for us because we've heard them so many times or we're it's like the real life equivalent of just watching it on the screen and you're like, yep, we're the image of God. Yep, we're beloved. Yep, we're good. Yeah, we can invite God into our lives. Yep, he can do all the things, heal all the stuff. Yeah, he loves us. And then when you take the minute to like sit in that and process that and talk about like the implications of that on an emotional level, on a spiritual level, on an intellectual level, like that is, it. if you let it be, it can be so overwhelming, like in that moment. But I think so often we're like disconnected from that really intense, like physical or emotional reaction to something that we're experiencing intellectually. And so I think if we can try and reconnect the idea of experiencing that on an emotional or a physical level and really thinking about what would be the implications for that, yeah. if I were to really believe it down to my toes, like, I've had those moments where all of a sudden I'm like, well, and I've stopped functioning for the next hour because I have to try and figure out how to process what just happened Hmm. in connecting my theology with my actual daily experience. Yeah, as you're talking, Anna, I just, I was sitting here thinking, I I found myself getting more agitated and I was like, well, maybe this is a really big deal in terms of what you just said. Yeah, weird. Yeah, because, I I mean, is it too strong, you you two, to say that, Maybe we've actually inflicted some version of spiritual trauma on people with no. this version of theology that is maybe a lot harder to crawl out of mm-hmm. than than we might think. I mean, th- this what we're talking about is not to be integrated in some theology of angry God and I'm a worthwhile worm uh, or worth, worthless worm. I mean, <laughs> I'm a worthwhile <laughs> sorry, worm. Yeah, a worthless that's going to be worm. my bio on Instagram now. <laughs> I'm a worthwhile worm. Well, see, that's the change in theology we're talking about. Because do you know all of the memes about the the girlfriend being like, "Would you still love me if I was a worm?" And oh, boys no, are I didn't like, see that. "What is going on in girls' brains?" So it's like a combination <laughs> of references. I'm a worthwhile like worm. <laughs> so a worth <laughs> a worthless worm. But I just I think about it like you actually have to be intentional. And Sue, it goes back mm-hmm. to your statement on imagination. This is maybe bigger if it's been inflicted so deep in our soul that we're just worthless and we're we're somewhat fortunate if we happen to hear the story of the gospel and Jesus got in the way of the blow. 
that maybe if we can stop sinning for long enough, we'll get to heaven when we die. Like, we're not talking about integrating something into that theology. We're talking about just getting rid of it altogether and replacing it with, what, and a, dare I say, something that's biblical and, oh. and not some weird thing that came four or 500 years ago. I don't, is that too strong, Sue, or is, that, is, is this somewhat fair? No, if if you could watch me, I'm bouncing in my. <laughs> You're agitated agitated watch you and We're I all agitated. I love it. What's happening? <laughs> and yes, and amen. Yes, we we need to tear it down, mm-hmm. really, because mm. it it is it's toxic. It's not. It really and it, I don't believe it has anything to do with the gospel. The gospel's good news. Yeah. <laughs> good news. Can we just yeah. let's start? There. Yeah. Not like a near near-death accident sort of thing. <laughs> like, it, it's not like a, hey, by the way, you almost died, but you didn't, and that's the good news. It's like, no, 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 this is actually completely revolutionary. Yes. Like, this this changes everything. Hmm. It does. It changes everything. Mm-hmm. Well, so we're looking forward to, to you starting some kind of community or gathering or something that that will just drive from Minnesota to Tennessee and join each Sunday. It's going to be a little bit of a haul, but I would love to be with fellow believers where we saw each other through the lens of original blessing and and lived that way with one another. That's actually a gathering that I could be a part of. Yeah, no, I would love something like that. <clears throat> yeah, I think we would too. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Well, I don't know what's in between Tennessee and Minnesota. Is it like Iowa? No, we we don't want to meet in Iowa. No, for no. sure not. <laughs> I had a dream the other night we were going past the St. Louis Arch. Maybe that maybe that was you know what, Sue, maybe that was a prophetic dream and I didn't know it. That wow, we're supposed to meet go. at the foot of the arch for, I think for the we new community. Just go to Tennessee because Tennessee sounds better. It does on every level. I like I was gonna say better than Minnesota, like in this way, and then I just kind of stopped it better because I was like, really, that's the end of that sentence. <laughs> I like it. A little warmer. Yeah, sure. indeed, yeah, indeed. That's where my brain was going. Well, we're so appreciative of you taking all the time to at least give us a little concept that I think what's so important about it, again, is we're not trying to do away with the scripture in favor of some newfangled theology, that we're, we're actually trying to go backwards and understand what scripture actually meant and maybe where it got shifted along the way, mm-hmm. but, but a return to something different. That's just it's really exciting to me. Oh, me too. Awesome. And you got anything else for, yeah, you you three, anything else for Sue before we let her go? No, I was just going to say thank you for joining us. I, I loved what you were saying about blessing and all of that. I thought that was really, really beautiful. Yeah, indeed. I want to read your paper. Yeah, so I'll send it to you when I'm done. No, you guys are going to become little buddies. I see how it's this is. It's going to be so fun. As usual, I'm getting cut out of the conversation. Yeah, this is how this always goes. I bond with whoever our <laughs> guest too. is, and then we cut dad out, and we start yeah. our own podcast. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yep. I like it. All right. Well, enjoy your new puppy. Your new puppy's Bo. Bo, yeah. And Aww. thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll do it again for sure. Okay. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. It's just, it's so nice to have somebody that is thinking about these things as deeply as Sue thinks about them. Just come yeah. and join us, right? And talk about that. I, I don't even know that there's much that we need to say. This is going to be something that just underpins mm-hmm. kind of all of what we do at Deeper Magic. I mean, the the whole idea of the magic that's in this world is that God has a blessing in this world. And, and we're not talking about, as you said so well, that your life is going to work out with all the circumstances that you want it to work out. Hashtag yeah. blessed, all of that. <laughs> but But that God's desire has never stopped being 
related to love and intimacy and face-to-face and all of that. And so anything that's going on in this world, God is fighting for that mm-hmm. as opposed to God fighting for his honor or God fighting for his glory or God being upset because his, his worthwhile, worthless worms, <laughs> you know, send or something. So it's just, it's, it's going to take a while, but it just keep underpinning all of what we talk about on really any show or with any topic moving forward because it is a real shift in theology. No, it totally is. And I think there there may or may not be psychological back into this. I might just be making this up from something mm, in my brain. Is, yeah. I have no idea. But I feel like I remember reading something at some point about how when there is a negativity that's introduced into your life, I think it's either a one-to-one ratio or you have to have like something that cancels out the negative thing and then an additional positive thing to really make that mindset yeah, change. Yeah, for sure. It's like Please 10 positive nobody things. nobody quote me on that because yeah. I'm not sure that that's a thing, but I feel like I remember reading that. No, there for point. sure is. They talk okay. about it in, in marriages that if there's one negative thing that happens between the two of you that's said, you've got to maybe say 10 positive things to kind of unwind that. And okay. I think that's true in all yeah. of life, whether in business, with kids, with whatever. So. Okay, so I'm not crazy. That's, I mean, I am crazy, Wait. but like not about that. <laughs> that was, that's not um, evidence that you're not crazy, but no, it's I know, true. I know, I yes. know, I understand. But um, I think every once in a while while we're talking, I'm like, man, we've said the thing about being the image of God and being beloved and God loves you and whatever. Like we've said that so many times. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like people must be getting sick of that already. And, and wanting us to say something new. Right. And then first of all, I remember that I have not said it out loud nearly as much as I say it in my brain. Mm. So it feels like I've said it a lot of times out loud, but really I just think about that a lot. Yeah. Um, and then the other piece of it is that if if it's somebody like me who I'm 21 now and I spent probably the first 16 years of my life regularly attending church and youth group, and if all of the subliminal messages of my time there was that I'm not worthy. I don't deserve to be loved by God. My sin makes me worthless and a a worthless worm and and all of that sort of idea. How many more times do I have to hear that I'm beloved, that I'm the image of God, that like before I actually start to believe it? And so I was just thinking about that while we were talking with Hmm. Sue, where I was like, I feel like we've said this all before. And then I was like, actually... First of all, no, we haven't. You and I have said it to each other before outside of the context of this recording. And also, we just have to keep saying it to each other over and over and over again to try and like undo all of the years and really for some people like decades. Yeah, of the trauma. Of the the spiritual trauma because I really think that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And then also the idea that we have – I I have friends that I have talked about this with where you like intellectualize your emotions to the point where you don't feel them because you've like dissected them so much. (laughs) And I feel like we do that with our faith all the time where we intellectualize it. It's what I was saying earlier with with Sue where I was like, what would it be like if we could actually physically and emotionally experience being loved by God instead of saying the words over and over again? Right. And so I feel like we – the the move away from intellectualizing our faith and then really truly into believing that we are the beloved like that takes such a conscious psychological shift it does it really does but it's so profound and it's so worth it yeah and i and i struggle sometimes in my classes because we sometimes get to this point and when i when i'll teach from this standpoint and then what you just said that i think is so profound that you then just can't make happen for somebody is you can try to persuade him through the strength of a logical argument on some yeah. intellectual truth, but you cannot 
make somebody hear the whispers of God's love for them in in an actual way. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of just get caught up short sometimes. And I'm like, well, just keep asking and searching and maybe imagination or whatever it is like just for those yeah. when the when the whisper of God's love crosses your heart in a different kind of way it really does just change everything it's no, it really I don't know does. of another foundation on which to stand so yeah we but I love your idea that we need to say it more than we do we think it mm-hmm. but we need to say it much more than we do uh, to one another yeah and and I mean that's uh, yeah that would that would be a profound change in many relationships so yeah, so that yeah. I know we'll keep going with all of this kind of stuff too, but you have an update you know, as we wrap up this episode of the yes. deeper magic here. And I don't know if this is like a boyfriend update. Nope. If this is, it's not a you boyfriend have update. No context for what this is. <clears throat> okay, so you're just going to surprise me with an update before yeah. we wrap this up. Okay, ready? Go. So, in terms of living in community with people who love and support you and yes. whatever, like even if they don't always totally understand, but yes. they're there for you and like all the things, I get a text from my best friend while we're talking to Sue that all I can see of the text that she sends me is that it's a screenshot of some picture. Okay. And then the text that just says, dude, are you doing okay? Is there anything I can do to help? Oh, wow. I was like, wow. That's always really scary when I get that because especially with the screenshot that I can't see. So I'm like, what happened? Is there some kind of American news that I have not been updated on because she lives in Scotland? So I'm like, is there some kind of American thing happening in Minnesota that I have been unaware of? Did I put something on my Instagram that I did not mean to put on my Instagram? Like, what is going on? Just something I've never said before. Yeah, no. (laughs) Um, So I opened the screenshot. Um, It just says, the Owl House has officially ended. It was a tweet. That was what I got from her. She has not watched a single episode of the Owl House, but she just found out on Twitter that that show had ended. It's been one of my favorite shows for the last two years. Yeah, yeah. And the text that I immediately get from her is, are you doing okay? Is there anything I can do to help? I'm thinking like the world has ended. Yes. Like I, something horrific happened on the internet or whatever. And she's like, one of your favorite shows just ended. What do you need from me? And I was like, you know what? That is an appropriate reaction. If her favorite show just ended, I would absolutely say the same thing to her. And no, I'm not okay. I will be processing the Owl House for the next week and a half, but that's okay. And I appreciate that she reached out to me, even though she has no interest in the Owl House. Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Well, that was part of my favorite part of the interview with Sue, too, is that she started out and said, yeah, we spent most of each, uh, Easter binging Outer Banks. I know, which was like this crazy television <laughs> yeah, show I called know. Outer Banks. And I would I have like, thought oh, you have no idea. I thought, you know, if, if it's Easter, you should at least be watching five or six episodes of The Chosen or something, which I love, The Chosen. Yeah, you know, oh, they, but sure. you, it just feels, but no, they just, uh, she and her husband uh, were rolling through Outer Banks. So maybe I'll have so to try funny. out a couple episodes of Owl House uh, at some point soon. I know it's a little crazy and maybe outside my comfort zone. But, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know. Yeah, like well, it. just we'll see how it goes. But a good episode. Fun to do this. We'll keep uh, having these kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one will air uh, a little bit, probably a week and a half after Easter. Yep. I'm off to Scotland again for about a week or so, too. Maybe we'll do a right. short episode while I'm there. Going without me? How dare you? I'm sorry. Deeply offended by that. All right, well, wrap us up. All right. Well, this has been The Deeper Magic. Thank you for listening, everybody. I'm Anna. This is my dad, Peter. Say bye, Peter. (laughs) Bye, Peter. Bye, guys. Deeper
Saturn Magic is produced by Audio on the Rocks, and our music for this episode is Auroras of Saturn by Music L Files. You can head on over to filmmusic.io and find that there, all licensed under Creative Commons 4.0, viewable on the site as well. 